I find mixing a little fennel into their feed increases the yield and improves the flavor. Alpacas! They're not my family. I call upon the principalities of Earth, Air, You cocksucker! You cocksucker! Fire, water, and ether. Okay, you know, I've had it with your drama, Lavinia. The hills rise wild. There are valleys with deep woods that no axe is ever cut. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, Trailer Park Podcast. Preach! Of color out of space. Daniel, welcome. Oh, Nathan, welcome. Thank you for having me. Intern. Gentlemen, what is the animal of the future? <laughs> I think Nick Cage already mentioned it. Yeah. It's the alpaca. The alpaca. It, it is the alpaca. You're gonna Hopefully wanna... by the time we're done this, I'll know why. Well, anyway, we are going to get into things. And I got to say, uh, the Preach series has uh, just started rolling here. I mean, we started off with A Few Good Men. My choice was Election. Uh, Andrew's choice was American Beauty. And here we are with Daniel's selection, Color Out of Space. So, gentlemen, we have, we have just finished a full circle of our roundtable. Congratulations. Mm. This can be summarized in our new podcast, Circle Quirk. <laughs> uh, but Daniel, this this is your preach. So I hand the floor over to you, sir, to run the show. Unless you want me to co-host with you. Oh, I, I wouldn't mind a little bit of co-hosting. But yeah, let me take a minute here, maybe uh, explain why this movie deserves such hardcore preach. Um, <clears throat> One, just personally, I've always been a big Lovecraft fan. There's something about Lovecraft's sort of mythology and atmosphere uh, of his works that really appeals to me, especially on a horror level, because everything is hyper crisis all the time. It's never like, oh, is there a shadow? What does that shadow mean? It's always (laughs) like, yeah, there is a shadow and that shadow is an ancient god and he wants to eat your consciousness. (laughs) (laughs) everything is always goopy and decayed and you're always slipping back and forth between dimensions and you never know what's real and what isn't. And people are always going insane, grabbing each other by the collar and throwing up black bile into each other's faces while screaming about ancient lore. And it's uh, <clears throat> always just found that sort of environment for horror super fun. And there's always been this sort of gap or lack in people's ability to be able to bring it to the screen And we've seen a big flood of Lovecraft stuff in these probably the past 10 years or so because it kind of came back into popularity. Um, People took the mythology that he created and ran with it and expanded upon it. And I believe that it's mostly public domain. So anybody can sort of pick it up and just make whatever they want. And that usually results in a bunch of lackluster crap that nobody remembers. But for some reason, Richard Stanley is the director of Color Out of Space, correct? Correct. There's something about him, and I think Spectre Vision, which is what, I think that's Elijah Wood's uh, horror yeah. movie company. That's correct. The, the two of them coming together, I don't know why. Well, we we're going to get way into it, of course, throughout the rest of this podcast. But there's something about Color Out of Space, the film, that when I saw it at the theaters and I saw it 
under a certain influence, the exact kind of influence that you would think that you would need to have him go see a movie like this. And it was mind blowing, mostly not because it was so shockingly avant-garde and oh my God, every little uh, piece was perfect. It was more just that it was exactly what I wanted because the point that I want to make is that there's epic greatness that you can achieve in films. And sometimes that epic greatness is so epic or so formal that you respect it greatly, but you don't ever really want to go back and visit it. Like Blade Runner 2049, there's a lot in there that's beautiful and dark and there's all these weird concepts and you kind of want to explore them a little bit. But that movie is really intense and long and I really don't want to see it again for like another five or six years. Color Out of Space, I've seen seven or eight times since it came out. And I could watch it again right now. An important thing to bring up too, Daniel, is that up until now, the British movies and... Well, I'll just finish this thought. They all came out in the 90s. <clears throat> and Color Out of Space didn't come out in, you know, the early 2000s or, you know, five years ago. It came out this fucking year. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, a first. And you'd think it'd be something you'd have to wait for a while before you would have that be a first of a podcast series. But this is a first for the movie to be... I mean, well, I guess technically it was screened at... Uh, the Toronto Film Festival in September of 2019. So, but you know, really, really new. Yeah, it's very, very new. And because Richard Stanley and Spectre Vision bring together this, I don't know, united front of like really epic fanfare, Lovecraftian atmosphere capturing with camp, <laughs> I think that's the key to making it so rewatchable all the time. The camp mm. keeps it a little bit light. And then it kind of goes out the window about two thirds of the way into the film and just lets the like darkness and the atmosphere take over entirely. And it's a beautiful little journey. It's full of laughs and quirks and dialogue that is outrageous and insane. Nick Cage is insane. This movie's a ton of fun. I can't wait to get into it. And you, a key word there, Daniel, was rewatchable. That movies that are British worthy are, like you said, Blade Runner 2049. Not necessarily rewatchable, but amazing. Right. This is about movies that are amazing, and you love to watch them. Yeah. Toss it on in the background. You can just catch 20 minutes of it before the credits pop up. It's worth it. So what other deets can we provide here? We have a $6 million budget, but I it's very difficult to find budgetary information about this movie, so that may not be all that accurate, uh, versus a about a million worldwide box office but i don't think the box office is the the thing with this movie it's the any any um i mean if you look at all the critic stuff about it they just they they mention the word cult a lot like it's it's rare that you can say a movie is going to be a cult classic before it becomes one right but i think that's something that's special about Color Out of Spice is that I can say without a doubt that this will be a cult classic and might as well be called one now because of just how immersive it is. I'm not a huge horror guy, but there's something about the combination of the music and the visuals of this movie that just kind of like grab your attention and absorb you. Which is perfect, because absorption is kind of an element of the film itself. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's right in line. 
Intern, any initial thoughts here? You want to talk about any of the cast members? Uh, I will say that uh, for step-ups for people, um, or who might have won being in this film, it's got to be Tommy Chong. Uh, <laughs> From Cheech and Chong fame. Uh, yeah, he plays himself, and it's perfect. It's like the best version so, of himself, too. Right? It is the best version of himself. It's like the thing he was meant to do, and that they decided to not do it in a, a doofus stoner film. Instead, they did it in a, a weird horror avant-garde H.P. Lovecraft thing. You know? You gotta wonder that how many of needed. the decisions were budgetary in nature, right? Like, maybe you have a list, and at the top of that list for Hermits in the Woods is Ian McKellen, and like, you know, maybe fifteen or sixteen down is Tommy Chung, mm-hmm. right. and you're like, well, Tommy will work, and he will. All he asks for is a bag of weed, right? <laughs> right? And just let him keep that shack that they built for him, yeah. and like a little bit of weed. Yeah, and he he does. He plays this elevated version of Tommy Chong. So yeah, intern, you're right. It's not that stoner version. It's more of like a um, mystic. Hey, I've seen the world, and now I just want to live in my hut in the woods, man. Yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. And then uh, I guess uh, something else of note here with the cast is uh, when Nicolas Cage was filming Mandy with the same production crew. Uh, I guess the guy walked up, put a contract down, and said, hey, hey, Nick, sign this. And it was uh, him signing to do this, hmm. to do this film <laughs> um, without him knowing what was going on. And then he signed it and found out later what he signed as a contract to do this film. Does he even know what any of the contracts say? He feels like he signs on oh, and says not. yes to absolutely everything. Yeah. yeah. Evident from Between Worlds. <laughs> yeah. That's yes. a great film. Yeah. <laughs> that might fantastic. be the next preach. Oh. Uh, wow. Yeah. Anyway, everyone else in this is uh, like TV actor getting on to what could be first big film that ended up not being a big theatrical film. But, you know, should mention that this movie was only released to like 60 theaters. Right. Which is a problem. I do. I do honestly think that most of the films that uh, Elijah Wood uh, signs on to make and puts money into, he knows full well that he's not going to be making money back. Um, But he's so into all of these uh, horror films and, and cult films that I feel like this does it it it's set up to be a cult classic where there'll be midnight screenings and stuff. Yeah, there is like Rocky Horror Picture Show. There is some like success magic in Frodo's Kiss. Mm-hmm. Well, Richard Stanley does lean on Cage in this movie quite a bit. He's actually he also one of the trivia items in IMDb for this movie talks about how Richard Stanley's favorite Cage movie is Vampire's Kiss. Yeah, Vampire's Kiss. I mean, do you guys know which Cage clip that we have is from Vampire's Kiss? Uh, Can you regale us? I will. Hey, 
B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R S T U V W X Y Z. You just bleed that clip right into the clip of him freaking out in the car. Yep. So, uh, do you guys know what happened with uh, Richard Stanley in his last feature film? You fucking cocksucker! You cocksucker! You cocksucker! Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, regale us, intern. Oh uh, yeah, I have stuff to talk about with this too. <laughs> because so he because on... wait 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 because I'm like oh the director of the Island of Doctor Moreau and then I would go and look at the Island of Doctor Mor- Moreau and I'm like oh why are there two directors? And then I start reading about the Island of Doctor Moreau. Take it away, intern. Oh well, he was working on that. And then he went crazy and got fired. So he didn't actually make it. Well, he did. Who knows? Nathan probably knows more. Anyway. Tell him about the rumors. His fame is being fired from making the island of Dr. Moreau and then disappearing for 20 years. (laughs) And then Elijah Wood finds him and is like, hey, I wonder what happened with Richard Stanley. Maybe I'll get him to make this movie. What the fuck? Well, first of what all, there's the there's a rumor that when he got fired, he had the makeup crew of the Dr. Moreau movie um, put put him in makeup and make him be one of the monsters so that he could stay close to his project. That's great. Just as one of the bit player monsters. Just a rumor. And also, there was one one thing about Dr. Moreau that I thought was hilarious was uh, one of the actors said that Brando didn't know any of his lines, so they had an audio device that would just that would tell him what his lines are, but it would interrupt with like police scanners. And there was one scene where it just started having feedback in the middle of the scene, the audio device. <laughs> Fucking Brando didn't give a fuck about that. <sighs> no, anyway. he stopped caring a long time ago. And I've got stuff here that uh, says that Stanley nurtured the idea of bringing the color out of space to the screen since 2011. So I don't know if Elijah Wood found him in 2011, but it sounds like Stanley's wanted to do this for a long time and that he's pitched the project to people. And maybe he pitched it yeah. to, to Elijah. Maybe you've got your they were, fucking facts wrong. They're both uh, two separate separate things happening anyway elijah wood's been wanting to make this also yeah for a long time and i think that he like deserves it because until until richard stanley making color out of space and i'm so happy to hear that he wants to make more that there's actually like a trilogy planned and there's even seeds in this movie that that you could see might blossom into his other films i think that he's he's the only one that i would say gets the handoff for me as a lovecraft fan from stuart gordon who made reanimator from beyond Dagon. Those are all Lovecraft stories. <clears throat> and those are the only, he's the only director that I know of that has really done the material well and tried to capture the sort of atmosphere that, uh, that the author portrays. 
And so for me, this is a handoff from Stuart Gordon to Richard Stanley. Because at first I was like, why didn't Stuart Gordon just direct this? This is his thing. But no, this is this is a handoff. This is Richard Stanley now. Now this is his his thing. He's going to take us forward uh, with this material. And I really appreciate that. So how do you want to handle it tonight, Daniel? Because we don't have to go chronologically. We can jump all over the place. We can do whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah, I think... I think first, because you before before we we sort of kicked off the show, we were talking about how difficult this movie is to explain to someone, and so I think it's important that we just sort of get a quick little summary, which is that Nick Cage and his family they have this farm uh, out in um, <clears throat> uh, just outside of Arkham, uh, where Lovecraftian lore. Mm-hmm. This is all these are all like fake Lovecraft New England cities that he sort of constructed in this large area. And Nick Cage, he inherited this farm from his father. Uh, the wife, she's just uh, sort of, I think, finished up with some sort of cancer treatment, right? They sort of imply that. And she's trying to do her job out there. They have three kids, an older son, a middle daughter, and a youngest son. All of a sudden, a meteorite lands in their front yard and sort of brings with it this um, indescribable, luminescent, bizarre color that seems to affect electronics and even your thoughts and everything around it. And slowly, uh, as the movie progresses, it seems to infect and then alter and transform more and more surrounding environment, and not just environment, but living creatures. And then, of course, the uh, <clears throat> the Gardner family themselves until it erupts into this massive climax of sort of a... I don't know, interdimensional reboot of uh, the environment itself. And so, and with this, we get all sorts of insanity and horror moments. And uh, it's a fucking fun, wild ride. Well, Daniel, <laughs> what touched their farm cannot be quantified or understood by human science. Okay? Absolutely. Yeah. I would like to ask, because I know that you have read the short story, Daniel... I would like to ask how the color is described in the short story. This is fascinating. And I, I have notes on this because I was going to bring it up uh, myself. So I'm glad that you introduced this. Yeah. In, in the movie, it makes this very broad assumption that this indescribable color is magenta or related to magenta, which is fine. It makes sense. And it, and it, co and it's, it, it matches or doesn't, uh, contradict anything in, in in the written story because i believe magenta is sort of a f fake ish color that exists on a spectrum that we can't actually see and that we actually make a bunch of well, algae in our brain right yeah the actual um bit about it from the trivia for the movie and i found it very uh engaging is that it says that the color does not exist like you said uh, from a single wavelength of light as part of the color spectrum of visible light. Rather, it is an extra spectral color, and it is only perceived by humans in a specific interaction of the optical rods in their eyes that detect red and blue colors in specific circumstances to create the color magenta in their minds. So yes, it's magenta, but this blurb makes me think, like it's way deeper than that. It's like a color that can only be created inside of your mind because it doesn't exist on the color spectrum. That kind of that's yeah. that's huge. That's a big deal. Yeah, and that's and that's really that's really well described in the short story. Um although I get the impression from reading the story that 
one, they don't ever actually try to describe the color itself. So there's no assumption that it's magenta, but through all these weird interactions between people describing the events that took place in the gardener farm and, and uh, through the writing of Lovecraft, I came away with the feeling, even though it never says this directly, but I came away with the feeling of this sort of overlapping magenta and cyan like mm. luminescence that sort of vibes back and forth between the two ends of those colors. <clears throat> Even though this movie specifically focuses on magenta from the story itself, it seems like there's almost a bluish cyan like mix, like this undulating, never quite stable. Yeah. Uh, color that seems to freak everybody out. It made me think of 3d glasses. So I started Googling <laughs> 3d, like the old, <laughs> the old style 3d glasses to see like what happens to your eyes when 3d glasses <laughs> do this is it related and no it is not no <laughs> not at all not even a little bit <clears throat> so yeah so I, I think that it may um it may benefit us to kind of open the discussion with what happens before the meteorite and or color out of space shows up just so that um we kind of had a, a launching off point Oh, okay. Uh, what kind of spellcaster are you? Would you say you're Wiccan or Alexandrian? <laughs> What's the difference? Can someone tell me what Alexandrian and Wiccan, what they are? It must be some sort of like sub-derivation of witchcraft that like only pretentious witchcraft people know about. Well, Lavinia is also, because isn't there in, in the book that he has three sons, right? Yeah, correct. There's three sons in the book, yeah. Yeah, and in the movie, Lavinia, the name Lavinia is actually also from Lovecraft lore. It's a character in the Dunwich novel, correct? Uh, correct. Or Dunwich short story, I guess. He didn't write any novels, or he did? Uh, there may be one or two that I'm not really quite familiar with, but you know, for the vast majority are short stories. So yeah. how does Lavinia, if they're going to make more movies and they're going to make Dunwich... Then yeah. how does how does Lavinia survive this movie? <laughs> did she die even? Yeah, that's a good question too. What did she die that or did she just become morph? She didn't morph with anyone else. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, she transcended. You know, yeah, she went and grabbed her, necro her Necronomicon. She started trying to protect herself. She fucked it up, and it like consumed her. No, that's it. Saved her. Her Wiccan abilities. She's saved. She totally. became she became one with the color out of space. She's she's now an elder god, right? She, yeah, she kind of went the same way as uh, as Ezra or, or or Tommy Chong, who also just sort of like embraced the transformation. I guess you could say. Oh, so it's like okay, so color out of space is like a roadmap for people who resist mushrooms and people who engage <laughs> mushrooms. Yes, it's an elaborate yeah. metaphor for. <laughs> Or hallucinogens and the, and the different <laughs> people that engage in them. Yeah. <laughs> speaking, speaking of Lavinia and all this witchcraft stuff, because we're talking about the very opening scene of this movie. I guess the very first part is literally a, a that they a piece that they pull from the story itself. That little like soliloquy or aside that that uh, Ward Phillips does as the as we see the like tripped out sort of trees uh, swaying in the breeze. That's all pulled directly from the story, word for word. It's hypnotic. Yeah. <clears throat> with with the music the. I'm calling it the ambient dirge. Nice. I like <laughs> the description a lot, actually. Yeah, because it does. It's a very soft, but you there's like this 
squealing cacophony that's that's been dampened. So yeah, I like that ambient dirge. <clears throat> but did uh, oh sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Did you catch um, Ward's last name? Phillips. And what is Ward short for? Howard. Right. And what's H.P. Lovecraft's name? <sighs> Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Yeah. I yes. Yeah. Ward is uh, H.P. Air, fire, water, and ether. Yeah. So is Lavinia summoning the color here? Is that she's is she accidentally like she's trying to like protect her mom or wash the cancer away from her mom? But is it really just an invitation to some entity? It, you could maybe make the argument that she puts out some like really weak little like beacon, maybe by doing this spell, not calling out directly, but just the fact that she's engaging in some sort of spellcraft at all. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> What I, what I love about this scene, which is great, this is like a classic sort of horror movie trope, and it's and it's very necessary in a, in, a, in a film like this that's all about transformation. Look at how crisp and clear and innocent and beautiful everything is in like the first 10 minutes of this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the horse in the background is like beautiful. Beautiful. It's bright. They have the most beautiful mm-hmm. property, the most beautiful house. Yeah. I'm expecting Tom Cruise to come leaping out of the jungle with big ears. Yeah, <laughs> and like in the classic because Lavinia like portrays this like uber emotional teenager like she has some reactions in this movie that are just over the top insane yeah we gotta we gotta put her in her place later yeah and we, and we will but here she's got like she's got her own beautiful horse she can do whatever she wants on this property she literally has her own lake where she can do rituals and shit she's unbothered living the rich high life but when Ward stumbles upon her because he's an hydrologist sort of surveying things because the city itself is about to build a giant reservoir and flood a bunch of land, uh, <clears throat> she is a little punk bitch. She can't wait to get out of here. Her life is shit. She hates everything. It's so ungrateful. It's such a bizarre contrast to what she's like actually doing there. Yeah, she, she's a contrarian. It's like everything that comes out of her parents' mouth is wrong. She's a typical teenager. No one eats alpacas. Fuck you. No No one eats alpacas. She also loves the golden arches. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I'll have you know that alpacas have been a domestic livestock species for 6,000 years. And the Incas Incas had llamas and alpacas. And they were on menus and continue to be all over South America. So, fuck you, Lavinia. Right? Like uh, three doors down, there's a bunch of uh, llamas. She's given the Mayans, a 2,000-year-old civilization, shade. She's throwing shade at them for going extinct. They were yeah. they were around for a long time. It is very privileged. They eat yeah. guinea pigs in Peru. So alpaca is like, it's quality meat. Tasty. Is it gamey? And, and I heard that if you put a little fennel in their feed... <laughs> <laughs> Not only are alpacas the animal of the past, they are also the animal of the future. Yes, and the present. Basically a god animal. Right. You can basically just hear um, how uh, how disrespectful Lavinia is as a teenager here in the, in, in the dinner scene. 
Although apparently our donor would rather have fast food. Uh, and just what kind of meat do you think you're eating at the Golden Arches? I know it's mechanically retrieved, but it tastes like heaven. Just wait till you try the alpaca meat next year. Then you'll know what happens. No, I'm gonna puke. No one eats alpacas. They use them to make sweaters. I don't know why you bought them in the first place. <laughs> wow. Because they're the animal of the future, remember? Those minds knew what they were about. That's why they went extinct. Oh, Lavinia, stop it. Come on, eat up. Yeah, stop it, Lavinia. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Also, they were genocidally murdered by the Spanish. <laughs> Don't bring that up. <laughs> Yeah, they just went extinct. Is, uh, Lavinia, the most interesting character in this uh, film, or what? Maybe the creepy older guys that okay. uh, can't keep their eyes off young female flesh that well, have, yeah, that have problems like, with that. She's like a like a what do you call it? like a secondhand store Mila Kunis vibe. <laughs> secondhand store. I just feel yeah. like uh... like she was number sixteen or seventeen on the <laughs> right. on the list. Of the well-thought-out characters in this, hmm. uh, it's really her and Cage. It's the Lavinia-Nathan show. Uh, well, it's definitely the Cage show. I don't know that Nathan Gardner is a well-rounded character. He's kind of a static um, f father character that is spazzy. Yeah, I, he's bizarre. I think where you're coming from, intern, I think that... I think, yes, I do agree. They kind of give Lavinia more to do maybe in this film. She's also one of the first to sort of recognize that weird shit is going on after the meteorite lands. But I think also because I, I love the character Ward and the actor that plays him because he plays this very important like straight man role. He's like the only one in the film who is like completely centered and logical and rational while everything else around him is going insane. And I feel like him and Lavinia sort of share that role until she herself becomes consumed by everything. And so she is a more interesting character to watch because she's one recognizes things two tries to make attempts to stop it or mitigate it somehow. And then she's also really the only one that's looking after Jack. <laughs> yeah. I'd also, I'd also say or propose uh, that I think Lavinia and Ward both have like a, a, a purpose of a, a focused purpose like she is uh well more colored in as a character yeah mm -hmm. just because she's you know doing this wicca she's possibly uh, trying trying to get away from the farm trying to go somewhere and do something else with her life and ward is a hydrologist and he's here to do a specific purpose and when you look at the other characters you don't get even that much you i mean we we know that cage is got alpacas and he's milking them but outside of that i don't really know what he what he does yeah he doesn't seem to have well he's retired but you don't know they don't mention at all what he actually did before then and then his wife has some sort of vague like stock exchange job yeah yeah what is what, um, is, what is she doing yeah and she's always worried about her clients and the yeah. dish fix the dish <laughs> yeah nathan's job is to fix the dish that's his job and milk the alpacas you know, oh, he's got two jobs, but yeah. like just to speak, speak to Cage's presence, like just his presence as the cage. Like when I watched this movie for with my wife, uh, who was seeing it for the first time, when the first shows Cage just sitting in his little rocking chair on the porch of his house, my wife just busted out laughing. 
like just him <laughs> sitting in a chair, she immediately started laughing. There's just something about him that he can just embody this wacko role, no problem. Yeah, when you give him some good material, he just takes it and has a, has fun with it. Sometimes uncomfortably. <laughs> yeah, let's listen to um, let's listen to him milking some alpacas. Now, if you don't mind, it's time we milk the alpacas. Milk the what? <laughs> it's not like milking a goat. You don't get a lot of milk from alpaca. Great <laughs> patience, technique, and of course you have to be very gentle with the uh, boobs. But once you get them warmed up, it's oh, a nice one, Dad. Nice one, Dad. I find mixing a little fennel into their feed. Increases the yield and improves the flavor. Would you like a taste? Oh, no. Oh, lactose intolerant. You're lost. <laughs> so when Nicolas Cage uh, gives the affirmative uh, proud nod to his son mm. after Benny says, nice one, Dad. <laughs> that look I've seen Nathan give <laughs> like you Nathan not Cage Nathan hmm. this role was meant for you no <laughs> no it was not it was meant that that scene that scene was meant for you okay oh man that scene there's so much going on there that's great one the editing <laughs> the editing <laughs> that keeps like zooming in on the bucket every time he gets a good like yank <laughs> Uh, great. Uh, the son saying, great one, dad, when he gets a good tug. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fact that, that, that Cage calls them boobs. Yeah. He doesn't say utter right? boobs. He calls them boobs. boobs. I was expecting a, him to call it a teat. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Be careful with the, uh, I, I love the, uh, I love the very beginning part. You don't get a lot of milk from alpaca. <laughs> <laughs> you really got to have good technique. On the uh, boobs. Oh, oh, oh my goodness! Ward is just, like horrified. Yeah, yeah. Why is uh, why is Nicolas Cage the only one reacting to the smell? This is interesting. Yeah. Uh, why is this interesting? Oh, I, I thought you were gonna give a little. Uh, thought maybe you had a. a oh, go. I have questions. Hmm. Questions. I've only come with questions today. <laughs> so, what? smells so bad is it the meteor the witchcraft the llamas jack or nathan himself i will i will wager this because i was thinking about this a lot um when i was watching it last night as sort of a review after the meteorite lands and sort of infects the property and the well water with its alien luminescent transformation magic or whatever you want to call it or describe it every character in the film has a very specific way that they're reacting to the transformation being brought on by the meteorite so nick cage has his smell issue that we later in the film learn is something that he it's it's it's, a, it's his attachment to being afraid of becoming his father because his father died in the cancer ward and he remembers the smell of that cancer ward as being sickly and like rotten milk and disgusting. And that's the smell he's experiencing the entire movie. 
So it's some sort of it like triggers some sort of psychological event. That's interesting. In person. Yeah, like, like Lavinia becomes nauseated constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what uh, is uh the the wife would then be let me take a stab at this. The wife um is 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 becoming very absent minded. Yes. Yeah, very easily distracted. Lost yes. in her lost in her thoughts to such an extreme that she cuts her own fingers off and doesn't even realize right away. Right. And even as the entire family in the house is falling apart, she's just ignoring all of that and is more focused on being able to talk to her clients and getting the dish fixed. Mm-hmm. And then eventually she becomes very just sort of exhausted by everything and forms like in a little, uh, and that clings on to her youngest son. And then Jack, he sees like imaginary friends. Oh, he's communicating with the, uh, the visitors. Yeah. The visitors in the well. Yeah. But the and wife, then, the wife is like, I, I'm kind of running down the, uh, the path with this in my, in my head. And I'm thinking that she's very consumed by anxiety about potential loss, like worried about losing her clients, worried, just feeling a lot of anxiety. And that anxiety is, is yeah, like, uh, exhausting her, making her want to rest. And then, yeah, just being absent-minded, distracted. But then when she clings, as you put it, clings on to her son, um, that is a moment where she just has like motherly instincts just take over to try and protect her son before uh, become m- morphing into Teresa Jack. Right. Which never would have happened if Jack wasn't such a mama's boy. And Benny ran yeah. away in that scene. Benny was there. He could have protected his brother and he, he ditched and his mother so, had to step in and save him. Do you realize how close we were to a Jack Benny? Yeah. <laughs> Could have been a Jack Benny, yeah. Did Benny not have a reaction to this at all? Is he? Yeah. What was what was Benny's thing? Benny's reaction. Just witnessed it. It was like an exacerbation of what he already was, which was sort of an absent-minded stoner. Because all that he does throughout the movie, as he gets more and more affected by uh, the color, is he just loses time and disappears. <laughs> oh yeah. For like he, for he hours. Lost. He got he got lost in the woods, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he can't seem to get these. He only has one objective and like a classic stoner. He can't even complete that one objective, which is to feed the alpacas and put them away. He keeps forgetting or they keep getting out or he keeps thinking he's doing it and not doing it. I just assumed that he was putting them away and they were getting out. That, yeah, that that could very well be. They sort of leave it open. That is pretty open, though. That's a that's definitely an assumption. Well, the comments that Daniel made story comments that Daniel made at the very beginning of this whole podcast are are reverberating in my brain that when you said that Lovecraft takes things to a level where the chaos begets more chaos, like the, I forget the exact wording you used, but there's a point in this movie where the dominoes start to fall and you can't worry about the domino that just fell because there's another one that's about to crash down on your face. Yeah. Like the, uh, the alpacas are out and they don't explain why. And, and, oh, well, too bad because now Nicolas Cage has a fucking gun and he looks like he's going to kill his mutated uh, wife and son monster. What is going on? Right. He's going to take care of it. Yeah. And then even uh, even Ezra out in the woods, you know, he becomes uh, he becomes obsessed with uh, listening to the aliens talk, and he seems very well aware of what's happening, even while it's happening. Like he, so much so as to say that he knows for a, like he even mentions that when his cat G Spot 
goes missing and Ward asks about it, uh, he's like, oh, you know, you might see her, but you won't recognize her. Like he knows already. So it's like, it's almost just uh, maybe like focusing the color or whatever, just maybe just uh, extrapolates on how you already are or makes takes a, an element of your character and like blows it out of proportion or makes you focus on it and it's like an insane, obsessive way. You don't but, get it, do you? It's not out there. It's in here. It's in the static. It's in the moisture. Up is down, fast is slow. What's in here is out there. And what's out there is in here now. Yeah. I play that clip because it kind of... You can really dig deep on the possibilities of what this is. What I like most about this movie, actually, is that the concept of it just being a color is should should be ridiculous. But the way that this movie presents it with that droning ambience and that powerful visuals just makes you and of course, you know, the story of written by Lovecraft just kind of makes you take it very very seriously despite Nicolas Cage's antics. It's it's a really interesting idea. Yeah, that the alien thing from outer space maybe wouldn't have a form. Maybe it would just be a color. And that it's maybe that its form or its intention is that it is this just this color and then it slowly latches on to mm-hmm. whatever existing. And then you read the, the blurb about magenta and you say, maybe it's not just a color. Maybe it's what it's maybe it's the only way that your brain could interpret it. So this film should be called Colors Out of Space. <laughs> maybe oh. that that's taken it a little bit deep i think the focus on one particular color is great because it allows the entire movie to have sort of a chromatic scheme uh that sort of it stri- is the the two colors because i noticed also the the blue like it's one or the other gets it's a heavy focus sort of morphs back and forth i wonder if we should yeah. try to watch it with those old 3d glasses well, because that's they, they pull red and blue laced images out that are intended to be brought out. So, what if there's like a whole layer of like unseen <laughs> stuff that we that is visible once you watch it with 3D glasses on, let's, like horrific tendrils and shit like that? Let's press pause and we'll go rewatch it. <laughs> now, let me take a minute here because I watched a lot of the deleted scenes from this movie, and we've already kind of come across a couple of places where big scenes were completely cut and i will say that the editing is masterful because i think 95 percent of the deleted scenes you immediately go yes this should have been deleted because it distracts from the pace and the tone of the film one of them is during that alpaca milking scene instead of it just going straight from him milking and taking a sip and then he sort of tells ward about ezra and they go see ezra there's actually a whole like extra 30 seconds in there where uh, Nick Cage actually gets pissed off that Ward doesn't want to have a sip, and he like throws the cup of milk against the, the against the fence, and he starts yammering on about a bunch of bullshit. But it's too crazy, too early. You know, they have this sort of slow build of stuff getting weirder and weirder and weirder, and it's too much of a shock right at the beginning like that. So I I, I, I like that they cut that out, and then also with Ezra when Ward goes out to talk to Ezra and with Benny, um, <clears throat> they allow Ezra to go on this like eight minute hippie rant 
about a bunch of extraneous bullshit and he gets into like politics and talks about how meteorites this part's actually kind of cool that meteorites are a foundational component of all major religions that the black cube in mecca that all the muslims pray to is itself a meteorite that that same the same piece of that meteorite is in a giant statue in front of the vatican um that's kind of a cool element but it was he just goes on forever and it makes him sound too much like old tommy chong so mm. it's nice that they cut that out too they whenever they show him they keep it nice and short and sweet they give him little like blurbs that you can remember and it's uh much more charming that way <clears throat> so if if he was sounding like the old tommy chong does that mean this is this is new tommy chong here <laughs> He's, he seems a little bit more elevated he's got like mascara on he's refreshed <laughs> he's spiritual okay. Yeah. He's got shit figured out. You don't get it, do you? Do we want to talk about the relationship between Nicolas Cage and his wife and how they're trying? I mean, he wants to talk about it a lot. A lot. Yeah. Like, I I've, would like to highlight a scene where some random reporter is like, what happened? And he's like, well, I'll tell you what happened. What the hell happened here? Well, it was last night. I was in bed with my wife, and it was the first time that we, you know, just the operation, and then there was this boom, like like a, like a sonic boom and a big flash, <clears throat> like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before, and then everything just blew up or fell from the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Not just him mentioning that ridiculous personal information about his wife but also that he's like on the verge of throwing up the whole time <laughs> yeah smell. well they've that been clean cancer ward smell yeah they've been trying to have uh sex they've been trying to rebuild their sexual relationship yeah and god and... you know i hear myself with her and i am turning into my mother oh god you couldn't be any more different than your mother believe me <laughs> That's what everyone says until they are. Well, what about me? Living on my father's old farm exactly like I said I never would. But it's the first thing you've ever done he would have approved of. <laughs> yeah, I can still hear his intellectually abusive voice in my head. You're never going to be a painter, Nathan, so you just get the fuck out of my sight, Nathan. Stop it. It'll fade. Just look at this place. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't even recognize it. It's ours. you into my carry-on luggage and enjoy you wherever Ooh, I go. No, mm. And look at this. Look at us. All those years in the big city we finally got out. So, yeah. They're oh. having a little nookie. They're getting it on. 
upstairs, and then, yeah, this huge flashing light, meteorite, everything just starts, the dominoes start to fall right away. Immediately he starts making those smells and trying to explain things and just rambling on and getting irrationally upset, and the whole family starts to get fucked up by their inner psychology. It just ra- unravels constantly. But it's just, uh, <clears throat> it's so great that up until that point, they just give Nicolas Cage this, like, not just weird Nicolas Cage stuff, but the dialogue itself is just insane. Like the writing of the dialogue itself is insane in some of those earlier parts. The one that we just listened to, of course, with the suitcase kink. (laughs) Fucking weird. Um, And then also, I think right at the end of that scene, he's like rubbing his wife's arm like really like aggressively. Like I get really uncomfortable watching how hard and how fast he's like rubbing his wife's arms. Then he has this like bizarre line of dialogue where he's where she says oh what if this is all just a dream and he's like uh, a dream you dream by yourself is just a dream but a dream you dream with someone else is reality and a dream you like, dream alone is just a dream and a dream you dream together is reality <laughs> makes no sense and that like there's a three or four parts when i saw this i was lucky enough to actually see this in the theater and that 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 was one of like three or four parts where the entire audience was laughing together and just getting into the vibe <laughs> of the entire film. <laughs> trying to bring up the scene in the background so I can see this hand rubbing that you're talking about. <laughs> I don't, don't know why it makes me so uncomfortable. He's just like he will not relent. He's just up and down, up and down. <laughs> you also had me pull um, the scene where he's. Uh, listening to the news report of himself. <laughs> oh yes, this is so good. Good, let's. Uh... Could you please tell us exactly what happened? Well, there was a boom. Uh, it was a couple nights ago, a boom and a flash of light and a vibration, and we came out and we saw this uh, large uh, rock. Horrible. And, uh, it was Oh my God! Couldn't somebody have given me a comb? Jesus! Arkham resident Nathan Gardner, who claims that an unidentified flying object landed in his UFO witness. You said UFO. I didn't say UFO. Oh, for fuck's sake, Teresa! Can you get out of here, please? Oh man, they dope him up in that in that interview about the meteorite so well his hair is ridiculous he's like scratching himself and like, it was like a boom you know like a large boom and like a boom and then like a vibration <laughs> so um daniel as a texan uh do you enjoy bourbon <clears throat> yeah yeah we call it whiskey yeah yeah he said uh he said as a texan man he enjoys a a bourbon yeah <laughs> yes well, yeah, I mean, I had a drink or whatever. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't. Isn't bourbon whiskey? Isn't that the same thing? Just a different kind of whiskey? Yeah. And it may very well be a part of Texas. I'm not really even sure. I just more associated my mind with like Kentucky. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I also want to bring up another news report that goes on in the background later in the movie where they talk about climate change. Oh, right. If you listen closely, you can hear the guy. He's It's hilarious because I didn't notice it at first when I was clipping things for this show. I heard him say, he's just like, is, that, is all the climate going to return to normal? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, Katie, you also have people with different views on this. You have scientists who very much dispute it. So, is there climate change? Will it go back? Will it change back? Probably. 
like it's no big deal. <laughs> it also gives you like a little like random uh, little seed. That's one of those little seeds that I was talking about for the next two films because the it gives the weather report in that in that in that piece of footage from uh from like. Dunwich and Eldridge and Arkham and oh yeah I remember yeah all the towns on the map right they show the the weather map yeah okay well as things get out of hand I think things like kind of tip over when she cuts her fingers off right uh as a side note here I would like to know what's your favorite kind of finger food I I'm I don't know I'm partial to like phallic shaped finger foods mm-hmm. monster sticks monster sticks yeah yeah mm. onion rings that variety yeah if they're shaped like a dick yeah well i mean you can eat monster sticks and onion rings together and you can whoop 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 <laughs> cut anyway she cuts off her fingers dinner's ready oh whoa and then uh, they rush her to the hospital and then the kids you know start to get consumed by this entity or color yeah i love too that when they're rushing out to get in the car to go to the hospital that like nick cage is still worried about the alpacas <laughs> like get in there by 10 o'clock 10 o'clock <laughs> he's very upset about, and and your deleted scene there says he's very defensive about their milk as well <laughs> yeah, well really- daniel do you know how much the alpacas cost this family i don't like i don't know, like 50 grand or something yeah, that was actually going to be another one of my questions. Is do you know how much a herd of alpacas actually cost? I know that they're expensive, and I know that they've been considered like a boondoggle for people that have gotten into them before. So there's like there's actually like a a pre-established vibe of oh you fell for that scam in like buying into the alpaca market. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but I mean anyway, Dad's not too happy when he gets back. From the uh, from the hospital with his wife. Uh, no, it, it didn't happen well, that way. What is understand. this? Well, the cat's away, the mice will play. Isn't that right? I'm seriously disappointed in both of you. No, there was the sound, and I got sick, and then you called and yelled at me. Honey, what are you talking about? We couldn't even get through, and believe me, we tried. She's telling the truth, Dad. Something I, I, weird is going on. I don't want to hear your excuses you know either, I, Benny. I'm going to take him upstairs. <laughs> I'll leave you to deal with these two. Holy shit. Holy shit. They should have been put back in the barn hours ago. You haven't even fed them yet, have you? <laughs> Dad, I tried, but... What do you mean, you tried? Do you have any idea how much those animals cost us? They are alpacas. Alpacas. <laughs> what is this voice he's going into? Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, it's like his terrible, like... Woody Allen impression of his father. Like, it's so weird. Fuck <laughs> my face, Nathan, okay? And he's transitioning to it from, like, this so-on-the-nose condescending father bit. I don't <laughs> want to hear your nonsense, Benny. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, he's very upset. You know, if I could just get a little consideration around here just a little support it would be greatly fucking appreciated <laughs> and i think we've established too that around this time 
this is also when Ward is starting to, because Ward's had his own little interaction with the color out at his little like encampment where he's doing all of his hydrology experiments and everything. And I think this is he's he's starting to piece together around this time of the film that there may actually be something wrong with the water, right? Mm-hmm. I I looked up a hydrologist on the web, and I I don't know that he's you know the that he has all the right equipment. I mean. If he's just out there to test the viability of the water, that's one thing. But I'm looking on the internet and hydrologists are like using these like multi-beam echo sounders and going around in boats like scanning the bed of the of the basin of the of the water body and like they're doing a lot more upgraded shit. Like is this just his first visit out here and he's going to come back with more stuff and more people and more Like where's the multi-beam yeah, but... echo sounder? This was this was written in like 1341 or something. You know? Actually, yeah, it was written uh well, he died right after World War II, you were saying, right, Daniel? Uh yeah. <clears throat> Lovecraft uh he died in the late 1930s. So he would have been dealing with whatever hydrology technology was available at this time, but it also may not have been critical that Ward was doing that sort of uh hydrology work like mapping the bottom of the lake or even i don't even think it was necessary that much for him to even care that much about the toxicity level of the water itself because really what he's doing is helping to survey the land area that they plan to flood to make this reservoir because they're going to build a big like dam and a bunch of uh water turbines and like try to bring this small city or the small town like into the future right and and the more i think about it though like an echo multi-beam echo sounder when you look at the <clears throat> graphics online it's essentially a form of sonar right yeah and if he had i mean i know it's back in the 1930s or whatever but if he if he had a sonar like device of any kind uh it would have been receiving some genuine interruption or feedback from this color correct so yeah and you know. actually now that i think about it here's I wanted, the weird i want to give him a hard time because he doesn't know how to smoke a cigarette so right <laughs> what but what's weird now that i think about it reflecting back on the story the color out of space is that weirdly lovecraft wrote the story from like ward's perspective and he's in the year like 2010 or something. And he's talking to people in the town about this family, the gardeners, where this weird shit happened back in the 80s. So it's kind of bizarre that he's in the, he's like in the 20s or whenever he wrote this story, thinking 100 years into the future, basically, to set the place of this story. It's bizarre. Yeah, that's creating some depth to this man's vision. And you, uh, I think you were telling me he died or young. Like he was in his 40s or something. Yeah, he was in his 40s. Uh, he basically was alive from like 1890 to 1937 and wrote like 60 or 70 short stories and a few novellas. And maybe there's a few other pieces that I don't, that I'm not familiar with, but that that's it. That's his entire body of work. You can fit it all basically into one large anthology. I just feel so useless. <laughs> I've, I've done nothing. <laughs> You'll never be a painter, Nathan. <laughs> Look at my face. Look at my face. 
<laughs> You're never going to be a painter, Nathan, so you can just get the fuck out of my sight, Nathan. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> you guys want to talk about the... Uh... <clears throat> Do you want to talk about Teresa Jack? Yeah, yeah let's, let's give a quick little build-up so that we can get to Teresa Jack. Okay, all right. So yeah, I, I the... just, you know... It's disgusting. <laughs> it, it is. And it's where the movie takes like a big turn. I remember hearing the audible sort of like groan of the audience at the theater when it went from <laughs> can't be sci-fi to what the fuck. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. <laughs> but, you like so we, you like sit up straight, your your posture kind of like, whoa. Like, oh, what? no. That's not what I think it is, is it? Oh, oh fuck it is. Um, Holy yeah, shit. They are fucked. <laughs> like because there's all this, you know, it's, it's starting to get real, real creepy after the mother cuts her fingers off. She has to go to the hospital. The kids rack at the house. They're losing track of time. Um, uh, Lavinia, like, ends up washing the dishes for, like, six hours and doesn't know, wh- you know, where she was. So she's blacked out, sort of. Benny's lost out in the woods somewhere with the alpacas. And Jack is running around trying to communicate with some fucking weird whistle that's coming out of the well. And here's a, an interesting thing, too, because the story in the movie actually... They line up really well in this one aspect, even though they don't really harp on it or discuss it or try to explain it. But in in the story, it's weird because when the meteor first or meteorite first lands, it's big. It's really big. It's like seven feet across. Cool. They bring all these scientists out to look at it, and they're kind of bewildered by how this large rock didn't leave like a larger damage zone. But the longer that it, the rock sits there, it shrinks. And it gets smaller and smaller until it starts to draw electricity from thunderstorms and stuff like that. And then, boom, it disappears. But it actually, like, migrated to the well. It, like, seems to have some sort of a need or desire to be, like, with around moisture or something. So it sort of embeds itself in there and then starts to glow and transform and then small cellular creatures start to come out of it and sort of get into the water. Yeah. They only touch on that with the little bug that comes out in front of Jack. Yeah. There's a weird little like praying mantis thing that comes out. Yeah. And this is actually where I want to stop. Cause one of the critics that, that, that I saw in some of the, the notes and stuff that you had taken for this. Remember most of the people were like, Hey, this is a badass film. It's pretty great. Awesome. Check oh. it out. Oh, Daniel wants to address Edwin. Yeah, there's one guy. Edwin Amadin, uh, in turn, he said <laughs> he gave this movie a 0.5 out of 5. <clears throat> Edwin says that it suffers from a lethargic screenplay, cheap-looking visuals, amateurish acting, and laughable digital special effects that play like failed auditions for the sci-fi channel. Which that is a brutal critique. That is brutal. And it lets me know immediately that this guy watched 20 minutes of this movie and turned it off. Because on their tiny, tiny budget, yes, because I couldn't understand it at first, because all the visuals involving the color and all the sound and all the the weird, tripped out, bleeding realities, all that stuff is done spectacularly. It looks great. It sounds great. It's fun to watch and be absorbed by. But there are one or two parts that this guy is referencing that I understand where he's coming from. One, that praying mantis thing is borderline. A little extra money, they could have made it look a little bit smoother, a little bit more actually a part of the, the reality that they're but, in and not just this pink... But sci-fi uh, channel? Like, when was the last right. time this guy watched the sci-fi channel? Right. The only part I can think of that is actually on the level of sci-fi channel garbage 
is when Nick Cage and his wife have that weird moment with G-Spot on their way home from the hospital. You know that little part? They freak out. There's like a weird, stupid-looking, mm-hmm. mutated cat. Yeah. That's the only really, really cheap part I can think of that looks like it's sci-fi worthy. And I would say you could probably cut it out, but it is kind of neat to be like, oh, there's G-Spot. Um, well, it connects to uh, Tommy's line. You will yeah. see G-Spot again, but he will not look like G-Spot. Yeah, exactly. But that, that lets me know that, that this dude just, he probably cut out right there. So to him, all this movie is, is Nick Cage being a fucking weirdo. Uh, a bunch of kids running around uh, this farm cottage with alpacas and then that cheap cat special effect. And that's where he cut out. That's the only explanation I can give for his review. Because if you watch it all the way to the end, it's fucking spectacular. Well, yeah. I think we, we could wa- we could read the entire review of Edwin. Um, fuck Edwin, man. Yeah, fuck Edwin. If you saw a picture of him, you'd be like... Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, look at this douche. Well, my my <laughs> favorite review was the one from Rob Va V A U X from Sci Fi Movie Page. He said uh, four out of five and stated it does not go well for the alpacas. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, what's important? No. To Sorry, go ahead, enter. Oh, was, it does not go well for the alpacas, <laughs> but we're, we'll we'll get there. We got to talk about um, Ma- Mama Jack first. Well, yeah. Daniel said that it infected the well, and then that made me think: is water or and or moisture like this thing's fuel? It it seems to play a part. It's never addressed directly. It's never said like, oh, it needs this, but just and then just you like- you have Ward too, also saying like, I am not. They don't drink the water. I'm not going near the water. Nobody go near the water. <laughs> right. He's very focused on saying the water is, there's something wrong with it. Don't drink it. So he can, he can tell that something has infected not only the well, but just the water. The whole water table. Yeah. yeah. Which makes it, which gives sort of like a, a, a doom doomsday vision of the future of this area because they're going to flood it make this reservoir they're going to use that reservoir to provide drinking water to the entire east coast of the united states so you can see how there's a potential for like (laughs) infecting a large portion of the country if not inevitably the rest of the world from this one place but the reason that we that we're sort of working up to um the incident with the wife and and the youngest boy jack is that once things start to really get out of control and everyone's really losing their minds and getting trapped in all these like blackouts and having weird visions and freakouts. There's an element of the color that becomes stronger or gains momentum or becomes more stabilized or something because it starts to reach out with sort of these ethereal tendrils and mutate things that it touches either by altering them genetically or by combining various creatures into one right so it it built up strength and now it it started to attack things yes and it uh it is very obviously uh something's happening with the alpacas everyone has to go out and check out what's happening i think it's jack runs out there and then or benny and jack go out there together to see what's getting the alpacas all riled up and it's that they're being amalgamated yeah amalgamated by this tendril force that's coming from the color and once it sees uh them come into the barn 
then it wants to lash out and try to grab them as well. And that's when Benny is kind of a shit older brother. Because <laughs> they're running says, outside. Come on. Away. You know, he gives a verbal, let's get out of here. Yeah, but he doesn't grab his hand or anything. And of course, Jack ends oh. up falling to the ground. And then his mother has to jump on top of him to protect him. Yeah. <laughs> We're so close to a Jack Benny. So close. So close to a Jack Benny. <laughs> We get a Teresa Jack, though, because they can become consumed. They're inside yeah. of it, digitally <laughs> phasing and screaming. Yeah, and you don't know, like, the stakes sometimes in, in movies, right? Just in general. You don't understand the stakes that the characters are dealing with sometimes. Right. And in this movie especially, because it's so vague what this thing is and what it can do, and you, you don't have a clear idea of what the stakes are. But then when you see... When they bring Teresa Jack inside and you see what's happened to them, that's it. Like, yeah, like the reaction you're talking about in the theater, the the whoa moment where you're just, you say, okay, so they're done. They're they're going to die. They should die. Look at that. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's disgusting. Her youngest son is fused onto her back and they're both having this awful horrific like labored breathing and screaming and writhing Lavinia's upstairs trying to like do some sort of spell to ward off something she's just trying she's carving pentagrams into her chest and runes into her forehead and then she comes downstairs to see what's going on with mom and Jack and she fucking loses it <clears throat> yeah and this leads to I don't know why I believe anymore <laughs> Because her and Benny have been trying to convince the father, Nerd Nick Cage, that there is wild, crazy shit going on here. And finally, it's taken this event to finally mm-hmm. put it in Nick Cage's skull that something is very terribly wrong. Yeah, this, um, yeah, this, I think he think he, he kind of lies to himself at first that things are still going to be okay. But you can't undo that. Like, he's like fused into her back like it's and they're like it's terrible yeah and he he doesn't like uh he doesn't like oh no sorry go ahead oh uh this scene uh going back to that review it was uh very visually uh done well you know Mm -hmm. yeah very upsetting body horror it looked uh Looked real enough to me. Yeah, I agree. Well, we can... If I were to see this, it looked like that's what it would look like. <laughs> <laughs> we we uh, we do have a, a a critic blurb that counterbalances uh, Edwin from ah. from Shannon McGrew, who gave it a four point five out of five. She is from Nightmarish Conjurings, and she said that Richard Stanley. <clears throat> brilliantly incorporates body horror against the dazzling backdrop of a hallucinogenic color scheme. Color Out of Space is an experience of epic proportions and one you will not want to miss. So, I mean, that's the 4.5, and then Edwin gave it a 0.5, which he's the only one that did that. Most part, people are giving it, you know, 3.5 out of 5-ish. Yeah, people recognize yeah. that there's something here and that if it's done on a budget as small as it's reported to be, that, that it's, you know, they stretch that dollar. I also like the one critic's comment where he talked about cosmic infection. 
yeah, that's a good word for it. Yeah. That's a good line. But yeah, and it's funny that it's that it's taken this incident to get Nick Cage to sort of wake up to what's happening because he's developed this like disgusting rash. Oh so, yeah, like, that fucking rash. He's like itching his arms and his Ugh. neck all the time. His skin is turned like elephant skin because yeah. he ended up touching uh, some of the, you know, some of the mutant alien goop or whatever came into the shower and he got it all over his arms and then it sort of infected the land because that's that's like sort of the cool visual thing that that we didn't really haven't really mentioned that's happening throughout the entirety of this is that almost instantly once the meteorite embeds itself in the well all this new vegetation starts popping up these colorful flowers around the well the fruits yeah, all of a sudden the trees are like consumed by this alien growth, and then this starts all the fruit that all the peaches, all these giant mutated peaches that. Uh, but they're gross. Peaches. Yeah, they're gross. They're all infected with this like bitter flavor from the that's, infection. That scene where he's he, eating, like taking bites out of all the peaches and spitting them out, and acting like so irrationally, and she's screaming at him about the dish and what the fuck is even going on in that scene? It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's so chaotic. It's like a bad mush trip scene. (laughs) Do you think if anyone else ate one of those peaches that they would have been delicious? Oh, because because he was so... Because Nathan has the smell thing? Yeah, he's rejecting the smell and everything. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, everybody's having their own experience with this thing. So, yeah, that's very... I think that's likely that somebody might eat (laughs) one of those and be like, hmm, this is fucking delicious. Then turn into a peach. Yeah, and based on the way this this movie is like, <laughs> based on how this movie is formatted and what they choose to address and not address from the story, uh, that's totally a rational, you know, logical understanding of how he's reacting to that fruit. Period. In the story, it's that it literally is, it it, it infects all the fruit, all the livestock. None of it's edible. None of it's usable. All the milk isn't drinkable. But here they don't they don't they don't do that. The milk doesn't taste infected when Nick Cage milks the alpa- alpacas. So you could probably you probably could argue that he is the only one reacting to the way the fruit tastes. Hmm. Can we take a moment and just uh, summarize Act One and Two, the names of Act One and Two? Hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in turn, I want you to select the name of Act One. Uh, Daniel and I have come up with some names. Throw them at you get you to decide act one witches and hydrologists or wiccan angst fatherly impressions milking alpacas or hot dog stew uh i'm gonna go with alpacan gold good creating a choice that wasn't given to you that's yes oh that's great (laughs) (sighs) alpacan gold why what is the... Uh... No, it would be... Act 1 would be the animal of the future. <laughs> I'll go with it. Okay. Act 2. Act 2. The alpacan magenta coming together. <laughs> Cosmic collateral losing time or magenta morphosis. Um... I think coming together, but I would just call it Teresa Jack. <laughs> well, we have Teresa Jack as a as a possible for Act Three. I feel like is that is that when Act Three starts? When does Act One start and stop? 
Yeah, I think Act Two, like Teresa Jack, is the end of Act Two. Like yeah. that's the climax of Act Two. Okay. Yeah. Act One, the climax would be the arrival of the color. Right. Is that is that accurate? Yes. Like that's mid midway in Act One. Okay. Or what do you say? Like when she cuts her fingers off, that's like the end of Act One. Yeah, that would be the climax of Act One. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, okay, I like that. Dinner's ready. So, uh, Act One, finger food. <laughs> Act Two, Teresa Jack. Okay. Act Three. Uh, they're al- not my family. Alpacalypse. Alpacalypse. That yeah. that's not even mine. I didn't even come up with that. That's a name of one of the pieces of music from the soundtrack. Oh, great. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Or Terror Jackalope. Building interdimensional bridges. Yeah, you you could go like hardcore spiritual with it. Or, oh, I just came up with one on the spot. Uh, Becoming an Elder God. Yeah, I was thinking Lavinia transcends. I'm curious about Becoming this. Becoming an elder god is uh, is better though. I, I, I'm going to go with that one. I like that there's this whole other thing now because it it introduces you to Lovecraft, and then you're like, whoa, he's got a world with elder gods and ancient ones. Because this color was pretty fucking impressive. So, what are these elder gods, and what are these ancient ones, and what else is going on? If I was so interested in one color, how interested would I be in an elder god? Exactly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it'll be fascinating if they touch on that for the next couple of movies that come out in this trilogy. Cause How much have you read? Of Lovecraft? Yeah. Uh, I've read quite a bit, probably a dozen or so stories. And then lately there's been a bunch of like, Lovecraftian video games that have come out. So I actually played a game that I that was fucking tripped out crazy, and actually and kind of scary too. Called Call of Cthulhu. Is that how you say that? Yeah, I always want to say Cthulhu because it just sounds better. But I think it's Cthulhu, and okay. like that's that, an American thing. That game is uh is uh that's a fucking wild ride. But yeah, these gods are like these ancient, ancient, interdimensional sort of beings that they divide them into elder gods and ancient ones. And it's supposed to be sort of like the good leaning ones and the evil leaning ones. But overall the entire team of them is just sort of indifferent and it's a uh, really weird. And that's, that's where a lot of the cool visuals and shit come from from Lovecraft is like uh, this giant, like Cthulhu is like this giant slumbering sea creature being that has like tentacles all over its face. And, uh, people call on it to like bring their dreams into reality. It, it's very, very bizarre. That's a very, I haven't delved uh, as much as I should into that mythological aspect of Lovecraft's works, but that's usually the part that's remembered or uh, typified by, by his name is those gods and creatures. <clears throat> hmm. So it's interesting that Stanley chose this, this story to go with, because this is, this is a very grounded uh a story of Lovecraft's to go with. Maybe that's why it was a good place to start to sort of introduce people. Well, it's got me. I'm, I, I want to see more. Yeah, what was what was the name of the video game again? Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. 
it's a and it's like it's a game that you can play without much issue because it's mostly like decision based and sort of interactive story and stuff but it's just like insane asylums and reverberating through your consciousness into space and like it's just it's fucking tripped out I kept I took screenshots and stuff and sent them to some like my co- my coworker buddy that plays a lot of video games as well and I was just like is this real what is this I was like it's some it's like indistinguishable from like I don't know it's, it's hard to explain it's it's a very uh, psychological ride hmm. but getting back to uh, Colorado Space so where are we at here we've got a uh, the alpacas are screaming and freaking out. Nick Cage is having a hard time grasping reality with uh, what's going on with his wife and his son. He doesn't really want to deal with that. So instead, he's going to go take care of the alpacas. <laughs> well, he's got he's to do something about the, that mess in the barn, yeah. Yeah. And I love the scene of him taking care of the alpacas. It's so, like, B-movie dramatic. It's, like, mostly focused just on like his torso and he's screaming and shooting the gun and blood is splattering all over his face. Yeah. Uh, you Loves can, you so can tell that the way that they filmed that was, it was, it was tough, right? It's tough to show too much of the amalgamation. Yeah. Cause he, cause I, I think at that at this point in the film, you, he could accident like Stanley could accidentally mimic the thing too much. Because the thing has a big is like all about uh, an alien creature doing a very similar thing, which is that it, it sort of grabs on whatever DNA it can find and it tries to absorb it and then mimic the creature that it's absorbing. But during that transformation, it's usually this disgusting, thready, grotesque, goopy monster before it becomes a thing that it mimics. And that's very much what it looks like when it does show the alpacas with all the heads coming out and the necks, and they don't have the skin on anymore, and they all look like they're grotesque sort of lambish skulls. So it's nice that they give you like a, a, a decent look at it to be like, look at this horrific shit. And then mostly just focus on cage getting splattered with blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he committed. <laughs> yeah, he loves, loves those Alpacas so much. He didn't want to kill them. <clears throat> Oh, he, well, he, he only them. knew how much they cost the family. <laughs> Honestly, he has about as hard of a time killing those alpacas as when he is done killing the alpacas and goes back up to the attic to take care of some other business. Well, he's got to handle it, you know. The yeah, same is... way that you handled the alpacas? Yeah, if I, if I had if I had to pick a preach scene, this would be it. It would be the, are you going to handle it? Like... The alpacas? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to play the full clip, but I want to apologize because the end of the clip, the way that uh, Teresa Jack's hand is uh, spazzing out sounds like somebody's uh, jerking off. Hmm. Sounds like an American Beauty scene. Go downstairs, both of you. But just do as I say, please. What are you gonna do? 
handle it. <laughs> like you handled the alpaca. <laughs> threw it a little American Beauty at the end because it sounded so similar. Yeah. But Throwback. but he yep. doesn't he doesn't handle it. No, he, he doesn't. He can't do it. And then she continues to evolve and that's when it gets really uncomfortable. I personally have a problem with things that have spider-like legs. Oh yeah. I have a huge problem with it. Yeah, because they are going to continue. Like, because she's yeah, it's not just that he's been the son's been or Jack's been fused to her back, but that he she like continues to sort of absorb him bit by bit, and then her she herself transforms into this otherworldly, horrific looking creature. And I, I I figured out what it was. There's a connection for me with how uncomfortable the sounds that she and her like Teresa Jack amalgam make, because it makes me think of the exorcist when Reagan is like sort of just in the throes of deep demonic possession and people are sitting outside of her door and they're all stressed out trying to figure out what to do. And from the yeah. bedroom, all you can hear is a bunch of like, yeah. like, like groaning ag- and agonizing, painful. Yeah, agonizing. Is, that's, that's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. so yeah. Uh, visceral. Yes. Yeah. It, it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, it's it's kind of noise that is so disturbing that it makes you yeah try to find a word to describe the pain because it sounds so overwhelming. Yeah, and they don't shy from like giving you little glimpses of Jack either. Like you think that they would keep that hidden since he's a child and that's kind of taboo, but like no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very engaging how far they go. They could have pulled back. Yeah. Especially when it's time for Lavinia to feed her mother. Oh. <laughs> I'll do whatever you want. I'll, 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 I'll clean up my language. Well, it's like I said, Lavinia. We're a family. No. Now, if there's one thing the families do, they stay together. Now, feed your mother. Also upsetting. Oh, so upsetting. Because you get real scared when she gets tossed in there. You're like, oh, fuck, no, 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 no. Well, when she gets put in there, it's spider, spider TJ. And oh, she's just like see her in the corner of the room all dark yeah. and then the daughter's like freaking out and then bam, she's right there. Yeah, and she's going like, Lavinia. <laughs> oh, her like, neck's all extended like grotesquely and her face is contorted and she's got these gro- like gross human spider legs. <sighs> she moves all quick.
that's intense. It is intense. It's upsetting because it just keeps going. And the whole time that that, like the minute I saw the spider legs and the, you know, the very, uh, I don't even know how to describe that sonic. Oh yeah. Distortion in her, in, in their, in her voice, but it's, it's also upsetting. Every, every audio choice in this is interesting and impactful. The music, the, you know, the, the, the sounds of like squishing and, and mutating and, agonizing pain and all of that stuff. It's all very audibly impacting. When you watch this movie and you put on some serious headphones, it's pretty crazy from an audio standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I did that last night. I had headphones on and cranked it up super, super loud and was like, God, I fucking love the soundscape this movie puts you in. I don't know that I could just put on the soundtrack, though, without the movie. Yeah, they kind of go hand in hand, the visual audio. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, just love, I just love Nick Cage in that part when he throws her in there too because he turns into his father and he's, he takes a deep breath. I don't know what about that deep breath he takes. just makes me laugh. He's like, well, <sighs> family stick together. <laughs> don't just, hate your mother. <laughs> he's, he's crazy. And the one thought I have when that thing's coming at her with those legs is I'm like, this didn't need to happen. You could have just blown them away. You should have handled it. This didn't need to happen. Right. Instead of making out with her. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. When he, oh, dude. Yes. Like, we're going to go away. We're going to take that vacation we always wanted. Oh, yeah. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you start picturing her on a plane. Like, oh. yeah. <laughs> Can you get you a drink, ma'am? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't this also when like a ward and the and the town sheriff or whatever are racing out to the the gardener home yeah. because they've they've got word that just crazy shit is going on out there? Yeah. And the, and the reach or the tendrils or or the whatever you want to call it the the mist being uh expanded from the color that has just slowly been growing and mutating and growing and mutating. It's almost like the the color is almost like a haze at this point in the in the house, and everything is vibrating, at, mm-hmm. at, like just pulsing with this with with the power of whatever this thing is. And Cage has completely lost his mind. He's gone. He's in the living room, and he's just fucking gone. Yeah, he's just drinking and itching himself, and he's like, "They're all right here." Yeah, they're all right here. <laughs> what do you mean? They're right here. Yeah, he's he's completely gone. What is it? And- Life in the sticks. He says, "Toxologist yeah. <laughs> and the hydrologist." So yeah, um, we came to make sure you're okay. It's very kind of you. We've been having a hard time, you know. <laughs> Car, telephone. And- Wi-Fi, <laughs> life in the sticks. Life in the sticks. Yeah, he's just he's he's vibrating with it, right? Like he's he's like suffering that uh, that whatever you want to call it, the pulse that's just reverberating. He's just consumed by it. Consumed by it. And when Ward and the sheriff when they bust into the attic to save Lavinia like 
Ward's reaction is great. He like reels in horror and tries presses himself <laughs> against the wall. Like <laughs> it is so horrific. He did not because he, yeah. he's he's just been like, oh, the water's poisoned. I think I think I think they're having some hard trouble out there. Maybe having some mental problems or something from the water. He has no idea it's reached this level. Why did he bring the sheriff with him then? Uh, they the sheriff showed or he saw the, a big mixture of animals, like a dead a dead amalgam. Yeah, they found a similar like alpaca thing that was that somebody picked up from the like nearby property. But doesn't is isn't Ward coming from like going to war? He went he ran to go warn or or get Ezra or do something for Ezra and came across Ezra like dead and oh that's that's after this that's after this yeah hmm. yes Him it's and a, the yes. sheriff go go after this. Yeah, because it ends up they save they you know Nick Cage comes upstairs after they're freaking out. He kills the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> then there's like a whole bunch of confusing chaos that happens with the tendrils coming out of the well, and Nick Cage tries to shoot the well, and the sheriff thinks Nick Cage is trying to shoot Ward, so he shoots Nick Cage, and then the daughter Lavinia sits there holding Nick Cage's body, while Ward and the sheriff are like, "Fuck, we have to go check on Ezra," and she tears upstairs and grabs the Necronomicon. And tries yeah. to pr- tries to protect herself with her Wicca. Yeah, and so she's doing that while they go out to Ezra's, and he's got that creepy recording that's like slowing down and speeding up, mm-hmm. and uh, is also that's that's all that's also pulled directly from the story. Everything that he's saying in that in that recording, and he just like gave him looks like he just gave himself over to it. He was just like sitting in his chair meditating or something. It was just like take me away. Mm-hmm. And the audio in that was also really good in that scene. Yeah, Ooh. I think. But everything, like everything with it, they had like the voices coming through that oh, he recorded, yeah. yeah. And then his deep voice and the music. I feel like that's the scene where everything came together, like all the audio stuff that we all enjoyed with this, like climaxed in that scene. Yeah, for me. Now, anyway, no, I, I agree. Do Do you guys remember? This is this is a weird part that happens right that happens right after this. I think maybe they he wanted maybe Stanley wanted to do more with this, but they just didn't have the budget. When Ward and the sheriff run away from Ezra's place, a fucking tree nabs the sheriff. Yeah, and like stabs, sho- shoves its branch down his throat. Down his throat. So gross. That was so weird to me. That like seems so out of place. Because you, we got the impression that everything's infected and sort of like undulating and vibing with this cosmic infection, but straight up tree monsters that had not been introduced. So when he gets snatched up, I almost like laugh when I see that part. So I'm like, whoa, 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 where did this come from? So I almost feel like that was maybe they wanted to do more with that and like really mm. show how the trees come alive, but they only had enough to just like do that one part. I'm not really sure. It's kind of weird. That's fair. Yeah. Almost like. If you're going to say, yeah, like a missed opportunity standpoint, like if you're going to say that this thing now has control over the trees in the forest, you could do a hell of a lot more with that. Yeah. So that 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 one part seems weirdly out of place in this movie where everything is weirdly out of place. Anything bother anything else bother you about the movie? Anything you think could have been improved on? Uh, I like that that the the 
G-spot image that flashes to Nick Cage and his wife. That could have been done a little bit better. Maybe a little bit of smoothing out with some of the special effects of uh, of the those insects and stuff that come out of the well. And then this tree moment. Honestly, though, everything else I'm pretty okay with. If you look too closely, you can see the movie is a little bit lower budget than it wanted to be. Some of the blood splatter on Nicolas Cage looks very, very amateur if you look at it long enough. Um, some of the vegetation work they do around the farm if you take a real close look at it after seeing the movie a few times you can see the seams and the sort of you know special effects practical work that's being done is not as smooth or as nice as maybe it should be but honestly your first or second time viewing this movie everything is like such a wild ride that you do not pay attention to that shit at all so it's like uh, these gripes are very small yeah and after multiple viewings if it can just pretty much hold up then uh then it, it usually stands as one of these preach worthy films. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I, I could give thought to, uh, to who might've played the roles better. Like I, I thought Benny could have been better. Yeah. Benny's probably like a little bit weaker point. Yeah. He has a scene that's, that's deleted. That's deleted for a very good purpose. It like shows him sort of losing time taking the alpacas out and he ends up like smoking a doobie and like telling the alpacas about some stupid dream he has. And it's very bad. It's a good reason that it was good. I think just uh, in terms of, um, yeah, just in terms of, of acting, I think, yeah, he was probably the weak link, but Jack was really good. All of the interaction Jack had with the well, all of the, all of the Jack scenes were strong. I felt, I think cage, I mean, as much as I love campy cage, do you think he could have toned it down a little bit with, some of his uh, strange voice nonsense. Yes, there's, yeah, I just, that, that's what's weird. That's a good observation to make because it is kind of strange to say this because Nick Cage is so prevalent in this movie and so many of his scenes are so funny. But you could honestly give this movie a little bit extra seriousness or edge by maybe replacing him with someone a little bit more medium level or maybe if he even just toned it down a little bit and did more of a, a, a traditional uh, part. But... That's also tough to say because then that bleeds back into would it be as rewatchable if that was the case? Yeah, that was going to be one of my points. Was if he isn't that campy, then maybe uh, maybe people don't flock to it in the same way. Right, Lavinia's great. I li- I love Ward, even though he's not in the movie very much. I, for some reason, I like attached to him uh, really strongly. He's got some particular way of responding to everything in this movie with like kind kindness even though everyone's so crazy like ezra's like no man it's the aliens in the water dude and he's like yeah maybe just don't drink it okay <laughs> like yeah no ward's strong the other thing that bothers me about ward is the smoking scene at the end where he's like when, when people try to smoke with their whole hand oh yeah looked, they tuck it, the cigarette like deep in the corner of their fingers yeah it looks awkward like if you don't stretch out your two fingers i smoked for a long time for like 11 years and i I have this knowledge about smoking that it bothers me when people do it in a way that looks uncomfortable. It means that you're not familiar with it or that you don't do it very often. And that's fine. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe that's the point. Maybe after this big dramatic event, he wakes up and he has a cigarette and he doesn't usually smoke. Maybe that's the point. But I just think it doesn't add anything to the scene to watch him awkwardly smoke a cigarette. Doesn't. Right. And if you watch Benny, anytime he smokes a joint, he is not inhaling it at all. Oh, that bothers me too in movies when they obviously are not inhaling. 
And there's some <laughs> actors that, that like suck on it and they go and they hold it in for a ridiculous amount of time. And then I'm like, did I smoke properly? <laughs> Is that how you're supposed to? You're supposed to hold it in like that for that long? I know exactly what you mean. They take like a long drag and then like... like they want they want every last bit of that to stay in there. And I'm, I'm like, yeah. oh, I never I like, did Man. that. And, geez, maybe I wasn't doing it right. I've always taken it in like kind of at a half medium level, sort of with the thinking that maybe I can give myself that many more years to enjoy smoking. I feel like when you suck <laughs> it down deep like that, you're like, come get me cancer. <laughs> What about you, uh, intern? You want to regale us with your evaluation of the movie's writing, directing, and cinematography? Uh, point out any issues you have with it? Any missed opportunities? Uh, yeah. This movie was great. You guys covered it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, think, I am re- I am really happy, though, that you guys uh, had as much fun with this, with this movie as I did. Because I thought maybe there was like a, oh, yeah, we see some merit, but... Uh, but no, it, it sounds like both of you in, enjoyed it thoroughly because we've all been talking about the same scenes with the same sort of <laughs> yeah giggle there's, in our voice. There's something unique about this movie, something that stands out, and it yeah it it brings up all these these subjects like the Lovecraft thing, like his whole universe and what's going to come next, and the vivid visuals and the the music was very impacting, and yeah, there's 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 some. Uh, definite foundation here that they could build off of and do some cool things. The fact that Richard Stanley came out of 20 years, I like this comment from this critic that said, uh, Stanley swings for the fences when almost any other director in exile would have tried to get back in Hollywood's good graces with an act of penance. Score one for the eccentrics. Yeah, that's a great... Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah, a he good did, he point. Didn't, he didn't he, fuck around. He didn't bend over or apologize. He was like, I've been gone for 20 years and here's this weird ass movie. <laughs> yeah. And I hope that this is his thing. I hope that they let him continue because it could be, uh, it could be cool. I, I mean, the success of this movie financially may not like open the door immediately to a sequel, but I think anybody who watches this and gets impacted by that audio and visual experience I think that this is a great advertisement for what he could do. Absolutely. And this movie has an element to it, which I'm a sucker for. Uh, I think most notably the other film I can think of that has a really like 10 minute long, never letting up climax is like Requiem for a dream where there's like, they use music and visuals and pulsing to like, just fucking grind your gears until you're like, okay, I can't handle it anymore. When I saw this movie in the theater after Ward comes back from Ezra's and he's, you know, Lavinia's in front of the well and there's like just all the color and shit spewing up into the sky out of the well. And there's a vortex and like Lavinia's talking and starts to like disintegrate and phase shift out of reality. And he like, even he himself is like, you can see, you know, like it's like stretching his face and his limbs are like have tracers on them. Like that whole thing in the theater, I was like already so happy with this film. And then that whole climax and it's just, it ends with this massive like cosmic array and the lights are blinking and the music is at a fever pitch. And I was just like, I'm going to have a fucking seizure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. That's a good point. People with, uh, with seizure issues. This would just kill them. This movie would fucking kill them. 
and then it like ends and like you know it's all calm with the last little like aside from ward as he's like i'm never drinking this water fuck this town and then the credits come up and lights come on i was just like (sighs) (sighs) yeah you kind of need that little epilogue from uh ward but i appreciate that they ended it quickly because if after that climax if you dawdled it would be all it would be a bad look you just need to calm everybody down (laughs) for a few for a few minutes and then just exit. Yeah. But that's, and yeah, that, that visual and that climactic scene is really well done and it's, it's crazy. And I kind of wonder if she isn't like, cause she dies in a very unique way. Like she's not dead. Like she, there's no body. So is she dead? Is there some sort of crazy cosmic oppor- opportunity? Sorry. Is she, is she now like on some alien planet? millions of light years away <laughs> well i was yeah does she become like some kind of god or ancient one or something like that like that's that would be dope yeah <clears throat> but that's uh that's color out of space that's the preach preach and uh every time we go out on a preach we announce the next preach <gasps> i was so excited and the next preach is my selection and gentlemen, I need to quit fucking around. I need to quit fucking around and do what I came here to do. Oh, so soon. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. Think, McCline. Think. This is what makes time travel possible. The flux capacitor. (laughs) (laughs) Did you uh, think we needed a life preserver after this episode? (laughs) I just really want to uh, spend some time with Back to the Future because I think it's arguably one of the most rewatchable movies uh, that was that has ever been made. And I it just want to... makes you feel good. Yeah, I just want to jerk off about it for a couple hours. And uh, I don't have anything else, gentlemen, unless you do. No, that uh, I think we covered everything. Excellent. Well, uh, you know where to find us, and if you don't buy now, then uh, we're not going to tell you. Have a good night. You're never going to be a painter, Nathan, so you just get the fuck out of my sight, Nathan.